Middle of the Pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are the middle of the pack. Welcome back to Middle of the Pack Podcast. My name is Maggie B. ATC. I am the OCR trainer. And guys, Sabretooth himself, Charles, is back from World's Toughest Mudder. Charles, say hi. Hey, everybody. What's going on? So, Charles, you've kind of had a very eventful past couple of weeks. How have you been? Yeah, I've been uh, pretty good. I did... World's Toughest Mudder, had that race and finally got it off my bucket list and calendar. And then I spent a nice five days uh, with my girlfriend traveling around the Southwest in a van going to national parks. So I had a nice, like, sort of on the grid, off the grid, not paying attention to a lot of tech messages vacation. It was very nice. That sounds incredible. I am actually on vacation as well, but for me, vacation looks like... Um, sitting in my sister's house that she is getting ready to move out of in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, well, at least you're out of your, at least you're out of the cold of uh, Boston and out of your crazy apartment. Oh my gosh, you have no idea. It's so insane. I just, I purposely planned this trip so I would be coming back the day that my psycho roommate is supposed to be moving out. Fingers crossed that actually happens. Um, but my landlord sold our apartment and he is handing over the keys on like the 29th of November. Um, and the lease that my roommate is on ends December or November 30th. So December 1st, he is technically supposed to be out, but we don't know how the transition is going to go with the new landlord. Um, and if this guy is going to wait for the authorities to come and remove him or if he is going to leave voluntarily. So I figured it's best if I am just not around. Yeah, it's a smart move. Yeah. But coming off of, uh, I just finished World Stuff with Mudder. You just finished your, uh, your Spartan Ultra, your first Spartan Ultra this past weekend. That I did. Mm hmm so we're kind of both in technically the end of our seasons. Oh, and the race hangover is real. A little bit, yeah. Usually I do have a lot longer of a race hangover. I break down my races more and more as I go, but actually this season I'm pretty pretty well content. It maybe helped that I had a vacation after World's Toughest Mudder, but I'm pretty well content with how my uh, final race went for this year. Tell us a little bit about it. How how was your race? Um, so first time at World Toughest Mudder. Um, not my first twenty four hour OCR. This is actually my third. Yeah, my third uh, twenty four hour OCR. Um, it went pretty well. Prep went as best as I could, getting everything out there. I didn't. I wasn't lacking for any food. Dear God, I wasn't lacking for any food. All the food I had left over went into uh, my vacation afterwards. And then um, the environment itself for Laughlin wasn't ideal. 
there was some there were some aspects I didn't really prep for. Um, based on the past of them being in Nevada, dust wasn't always an issue. I mean, it's in the desert, yes, but apparently, according to people who ran the old Vegas location in Laughlin this year, this race had a lot more uh, loose sand, loose dirt problems. So there was a lot of dust. Uh, there was a lot of basically sliding around. If you've ever run through sand, it's terrible. It's not ideal for running for 24 hours, but um, the race itself was fine. Uh, I didn't feel like I was underprepared for it. I ran a good amount of time. I was consistently under two hours each time, but even as it later went on. Didn't really have any problems with obstacles. I got never failed Funky Monkey or Well Swung. Um, got through Gauntlet most of the time. But there was a couple times where I just, I got rope burn on Gauntlet. That was fun. <laughs> but that was like one of the few times I was just like, the penalty for Gauntlet was jumping jacks. I heard about that. They were supposed to do the little like mini foot pedal biking thing. I don't, we don't know what, I, I don't know what happened to that penalty, but it, it was jumping jacks. So I was like, I'll do 50 jumping jacks. Sure. That's not going to take me any time. If anything, it'll keep me warmer at night. Um, Temperatures weren't too bad, but so what I ended up doing was I got up to 45 miles and the last two laps before that, I started not getting cold, but I could feel things getting chilly. I was at that point, I had this weird point where I was hydrated to start the race and then I got dehydrated in the middle and then way over rehydrated. So I think the last two laps, I stopped to go to the bathroom six times each lap which is a lot of water. Oh, you usually do that quite a bit regardless. I, I go to, uh, it's usually like once or twice, but in, well, in race settings, it's usually about once per lap, but this was like many times over because I was trying so hard to get my hydration back up. But then I just kind of, it was like, it got to about, I think I stopped at like, I stopped at, mile 45 so lap nine and at that point i wasn't cold um i was already in my frog skins top but at that point it was more i was having problems getting over hurdles which are pretty easy for me like things were just things weren't coming off the rails but things were deteriorating in that way and i also straight out just wasn't having a good time anymore i was just kind of like ah. Eh. I'm not having fun. Even when I'm talking to people, I'm just kind of like, uh, I just kind of lost like the luster in the race. And I had a couple times where I realized I was getting a little off balance when I was walking around and I was just kind of like, I'm not having a good time. I just kind of want to, I wanted to stop and take a rest. And I was kind of okay with going like when the sun comes up, I'm going to go out for my 50 miler and just call it there. It was one of those things I just, I don't know. My race season was felt so long that I was just kind of ready for my all race season to be over. And I was kind of okay with my decision on that one. Because I think if I, post-racing, if I kept moving, I probably would have gotten to like 65 miles just based on timing. And yeah, I don't know. There was just something I was like, 50 is a nice round number. 
I don't feel like going out and putting myself in more danger than I already feel like I am. I'm pretty well in tune with what's happening with my body. And if things are going wrong, if I'm having problems on hurdles and I'm, if people don't know me in person, I'm six foot, I have a long reach and I'm having problems on a hurdle that's a little bit higher than my hips, things aren't going too well. <laughs> so I decided to give call it a wrap on a uh, world stuff with mutter, get 50 miles, do my last lap in the morning with my friend Brian, my girlfriend Jess. So we all got the finish in our 24-hour headbands, and it was a good outing. It's a good outing for first world stuff as mutter, in my opinion. Good, and I mean, I think that's a very valuable lesson for everybody. If you're not having fun with racing, like, why are you out there? And that, that is a good indicator on maybe you should just call it for that day. Um, because if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then you're just going to continue to become more and more miserable throughout. I was very, the last lap, um, I was very, I was getting to the miserable part of it because I was in Blockness and um, Mark Patrice, who absolutely destroyed that course. Um, Batris? Batris. I don't know. I don't even remember how Kyle pronounced it at the dinner, at the uh, brunch, but <laughs> I don't think anyone has an official announce, uh, pronunciation. I think um, Mark has a, an official pronunciation. Probably. I, I don't, I even talked to him. I didn't ask, <laughs> but um, he absolutely destroyed it. He came flying through and then I kind of got stuck. I can do block nest by myself. It's very easy for me. I'm tall. I can jump out of the water, grab the top and just like hurl myself over. I got stuck helping a few people and I don't mind helping people, but I kept like I kept telling people I can just do this myself. So if you want me to go over and then hold it, but more people kept jumping the line, and I got to the point where I was like, I was saying I was kind of mumbling it to myself, but it was a loud enough of people. I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of this water. Like I just gotta get out of here. I don't want to do this. And once I got out of the water, I was like, oh, I want to go. Um, yeah, that was one of my early indicators. I wasn't having a good time. But when you called it. And I was talking to Brian a good amount because I know that he was suffering for a while. Um, I heard a lot of hip and knee issues coming out of this race from everybody. Um, and yeah, I was talking to Brian and said, you know, it, it looks like Charles hasn't gotten back out on course. What's going on? He's like, yep, he's here right now, whatever else. Um, when you called it, you and my client yet again were like, Spot on the the entire time, like running one and two, and um, he stayed pretty consistent for his like twenty two and a half hours or whatever. He he got sixty five miles. He probably could have gone out on at least one more, um, but he was dealing with some stuff as well and called it at sixty five. So I, you you definitely could have made at least sixty five. Oh, yeah. I was on pace to beat my two previous 50-miler records, which are uh, 50 miles and a 24-hour CR, which is like 19 hours and then 22. So I have that consolation, like, if I had just gone out for another lap, I would have easily have broken my previous PR. Um, but it was just one of those things I was just like, uh, I just don't. Think when things aren't lining up for an ultra, and I think we've said it before, when things are just not going well and you know your body well enough, just be smart and just kind of call it. Or I think the only way I would have 
rebounded as if I did. If I had taken a full hour, like, break or a 90-minute break and gone out, possibly. But at that point, I was just... I was good. <laughs> so, but, um... I can tell you I haven't caught the Tough Mudder, the Toughest Mudder, World's Toughest Mudder bug. I don't plan on jumping into the 2022 one. They announced it for Pensacola, and before the brunch, when they were like, oh, we're going to announce where our new location is, I was like, oh my god, anywhere but Florida. I just said, the way Spartan, that whole organization has an attachment to Florida, I was like, as long as they don't put it in Florida, if they put it in a nice, like, foresty area... It'll be fine. But they put it in fucking Pensacola, Florida. Which the best reaction was Amelia at brunch went, where? Like out loud. <laughs> and if no one knows where Pensacola is, it's on the panhandle. It's basically Alabama. Um, so all the oh, is that where it is? Yeah. It's like right near the, <laughs> the Alabama border. My sister lived there uh, for, I think, a year and a half. That sounds so boring. Oh, it's... It's not even close to Orlando. Like, it's like a three and a half, four hour drive, maybe more to even get to Orlando from there. Like, which, I mean, actually, I think it's a two and a half drive to Tampa. So it's it's nowhere near, like, fun. You would have to fly from Pensacola to another location in Florida if you wanted to make a vacation out of it. But it's, yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere, Pensacola, or middle of nowhere, Florida, which is another time zone. Uh... It's an hour ahead of, hour behind Eastern time for us. Is, wait, it's not even Eastern time? No, it's it's Central. I thought all of Florida was Eastern time. <laughs> nope, that fucking panhandle is Central. But um, Oh my God. So yeah, um, I have a bunch of friends who are running it, have already signed up and they're running it. And I'm, I've already been claimed for a pit crew because I figured that's what I would do. Um, so yeah, I can also say this was probably the best pit crew experience I had in this race. I, Never, I've I've had my sister do it for me. I've had other people's pit crews kind of help out, but my buddy Alan did a great job. He he met me at the. I rarely ever had to go into my actual pit. He met me at the line with like food and water and stuff. He would catch me a mile out before, and I'd tell him what I would need, and then he would just meet me there. Only time I actually went in was for changing shoes and nope, I changed shoes at the uh, the line. Uh, changing clothes. It's the only time I ever went over there. But um, when my my girlfriend dropped out because she got vertigo a couple days, she got vertigo a couple days before the race. She got to do one lap. That's like as much as she could do at the time. And then that her and her mom also pitted for me. So I basically had a three person pit crew. And boy, I get it. Like that's really <laughs> that's a really nice experience having that many people just hand you stuff. <laughs> but um. So yeah, next 2022, I'm probably I'm gonna be pitting for a couple people. I'm just gonna have a good time. Good. Mm-hmm. But uh, since I've been off the radar, I don't know how your race went. How did your first Spartan Ultra go? So this is where I really wanted to talk about the race hangover stuff because I find after my races, like we all see everybody on Instagram, like don't worry guys, I'll update you later. But like right now. I've talked about my race with plenty of people and it's like, I don't even know where to start in talking about my race. I can't think about it. Like I'm in a fog and I just have this like serious race hangover. I know that my race was phenomenal. 
Um, I remember on Friday, I was at the venue um, for bin drop and everything else. And actually, one of our listeners, Mark, he offered me a bucket because I said, I'm flying in like I have I'm flying straight to Charleston after this. I'm not going to check a bucket or I'm not going to carry a bucket on like I actually have to pack for vacation as well. So I was just going to, you know, go to Lowe's, go to Home Depot, whatever, pick up like a cheap painter's bucket and then throw it away or give it to somebody after. Like, oh, don't worry. Like, I have an extra bucket. You can borrow it. So he did. And that was phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. And so I was at the venue from two o'clock when um, when bin drop opened until he got there at about 430 or so. So I was just like walking around, whatever else. And this might be the only time I have ever seen Athlinks not update the athlete roster before the race. Um, So as people were checking in for the ultra, they were getting added onto Athlinks. And I'm refreshing and like, oh my gosh, there's, I'm the only female in elite. I'm the only female in elite. Oh my gosh, this can't be happening. I do not want to be the only female in elite. And I'm panicking. I'm texting people like, I'm a firm advocate of you cannot control who shows up. But Mm -hmm. we know how haters and trolls get. And if, you know, you're the only person in elite. I know I had a couple friends say, Oh, well, you know, people are going to say you only ran elite because you pointed out a couple of weeks ago that no women are running elite. So it just makes sense that you'd step into elite. No, that's not why I did at all. But I was terrified that I would show up and get handed a podium and not have to put in the work for it. Yeah. Like my biggest fear was that I was going to get lapped by age group women And, you know, I was going to get handed something just because I was the only one to sign up. Thankfully, Friday night, two more women signed up or had checked in. Perfect. We got there on Saturday morning and there were seven women. Oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Like, there's no pressure on me to necessarily get onto a podium. Like, I I wasn't going to be handed a podium. Um. I wanted to really put in work and I knew that, you know, I'm still not the fastest. I really just wanted to show up and see what I could do. So we were all standing there freezing our ass off at 6 a.m. It's 25, 30 degrees real feel. And it we have our headlamps on. We're all bundled up and we are in the starting corral from 555 until like 620. Mm-hmm. And they're not sending us off. We're all jumping up and down, huddling together, trying to keep warm. Finally, they sent us off. Okay, perfect. Um, and I was just like hanging out back of the pack. Um, I was definitely running like last for a while, and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I was chatting with another female for a while, just enjoying my time. But I was actually like running, feeling good. And her and I both were talking and I was saying, you know, all I really want is under eight hours. I think that's a really good benchmark. 
especially for female elite ultras. I mean, obviously, all venues are a little different. This one had just under 5,000 feet of elevation, but it didn't feel like it. I think there was only like one or two really big climbs, and then it was like a lot of rolling hills. It was very runnable. It's like, okay, eight hours for my first Spartan Ultra, that's a really solid goal. And she was thinking the same. She'd done other ultras before, but she was thinking, you know, under eight hours is a great goal. Um, and we were just running, feeling great. Um, again, I was really hoping and fighting to make sure that I wasn't getting overtaken by female age groupers. I know there's always going to be the men age groupers that are going to be faster than me. It's just happens. It's how you know, biology works. Men have a higher VO2 max. They tend to have faster everything, whatever. Um, so I wasn't too concerned about the men. There was only one female age grouper who caught up to us and she was flying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got into transition. Oh, first lap, I everything was like frozen over. So I'm got three rungs from the end on Twister and my my fingers were frozen and the bars were frozen and I just slipped off. That's fine. There was a penalty loop. Then Olympus, that new Olympus wall, I know I've done it before and I've always I've said how terrible it is. It really is god awful. I don't know that very many people actually voluntarily attempted it. I, I could be wrong because, again, I wasn't really around very many people when I got to it. But the penalty loop there was wicked easy. Um, did that. Stairway, they changed stairway to that exact same surface that's on Olympus. And then they have those rock grips and they made it steeper. So for us short people, it's impossible. That was another easy penalty loop. Not a big deal. Um, then I missed my spear on the first lap. The spear was right before transition. So I cranked out the fastest 30 burpees of my life as I'm coming into transition right, right around 4.05. I think I got into transition four hours and eight minutes. Um, and that was 17 miles. So I was feeling great. Um, frozen because the dunk wall was horrendously cold and that was right before we came into the spear and the transition so I got into the transition area I brought my dry robe and I threw my dry robe on and I changed out of my wet clothes I threw on shorts um threw on a different top you know took my bleg mitts out of my pack I refilled or I changed out my water bottles I Grabbed a slice of pizza, I took a sip of Coke, and I got out of transition. It took me about 10 minutes just because trying to change out of wet clothes in a dry robe when you're freezing, that's a little tough. But then I got back out on course, and um, I was, it, it was truly a new experience for me, going out on that second lap during an ultra. And I mean, I know it's literally my first ultra, so I have never experienced it. But I think everybody has this idea in their head of what ultras are going through. But until you've experienced it, you'll, you could never even imagine. So
So I was, I was walking out of transition. I was literally eating a slice of pizza as I'm coming up to the wall. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm talking to a few people at, cause, uh, new group had just started off on course. I got to the wall and there were two people that I knew from Massachusetts. They came out, did the blue Hills with me a few times. They're like, Megan, Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Like, how are you feeling? Are you on your second lap? They're like, what are you up to? I'm like, Oh, you know, just eating some lunch as I'm like eating my pizza, jump over the wall at, um, right as I'm finishing chewing and I take off and start running. Um, and my, my knees, the one that I aggravated at fit, it was bothering me a little bit, but I'm like, you know, just keep running, whatever you do, just keep running. Because again, like me thinking every time I've been out on course with ultras, like it is wicked impressive to see ultras running past you. Mm -hmm. And especially I knew I was elite um, on my first lap, there were a couple times where I saw some age group women behind me, like on like switchback areas. I'm like, okay, age group women have to be coming up quick. If I know I'm hurting and I'm going to slow down a little bit, I don't know what they're looking like, but I need to just keep moving, just keep going. So I'm running every chance I can. Um, and I, I felt good enough to where I could keep going. My obstacle ability on that second lap was much better. I, you know, I was coming up to Twister. And, you know, me, I, again, I've been in plenty of races with ultras, just never in an ultra. And I think the one thing everybody always wants about the ultra is you can have right of way on the obstacles. So if you come, you're coming in, you scream ultra, like people let you go. So I remember coming into Twister and like ultra and I walk up to the box. I'm like, excuse me, can I go? And they're like, oh yeah, no problem. And then as I'm getting started, I hear the woman that um, let me ahead of her. She's like, oh my gosh, that's the obstacle girl. And I, I'm just kind of chuckling. I'm like, okay. Like, I know I get it all the time, but it, it it's humbling to hear that and like people do recognize me and respect me for what I have done within this sport and it's it's just nice because then they're cheering me on especially at a time where I am you know struggling a little bit more it keeps me mentally fresh um I remember getting to the z wall and I said you know ultra and can I go through and of course, the lane that the guy was letting me go through, the woman who was on it was taking her sweet time mm-hmm. to go. And, you know, I was, I got to it and she was just finishing up the first panel and she's going. As soon as she got to the turn to go on to her last panel, I jumped on and I started and I got to that second panel ready to take the turn and she was still trying to make the turn. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm sorry, but can you please keep moving? Like I'm actually racing, and like I, I I know that I can be a bitch on course when I'm really pushing myself, and I uh, always try to apologize after the fact or in the moment. Like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm pushing myself. I'm racing. Um, it, at least, especially in this situation, if people are letting me go ahead of them 
always know I am not going to take my sweet time on obstacles. I'm going to get on and off as fast as physically possible. Um, I'm not going to hesitate to, you know, start an obstacle. I'm not going to freak out. I'm, you know, I am going to get on, get off, get moving. Um, so I'm very fortunate that for the most part, everybody was very understanding about that. Um, but I, well, I'll, I'll get to my, my thoughts on all of that after the recap, but I keep going, you know, just running. Awesome. And, um, uh, we're coming in, there was like one big climb and it was right before you come in and start to see the festival area. And I'm getting up that climb and that might've been the only time on course where I physically stopped for any amount of time. And it's only because it was single track going up this climb and I was stuck behind people who were stopping. Um, so I get to the top and I look at my down at my watch and I see... You know, I'm coming in on, you know, seven hours and like 15 minutes. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, I know I still have like a mile or so left. And this is where all of the obstacles are. But I really could pull off this sub eight hours. So I keep going. Um, you know, I nail all of my obstacles, even the spear to the point where like I hit that spear. I let out a fuck yeah. And I sprint off because I know after the spear, the only thing I have left is the herc hoist and the fire jump. And I'm like, I'm on the verge of tears. Um, I get the herc hoist up, down, I jump over the fire and I look down and seven hours, 47 minutes. I'm like wanting to cry. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did this. Um, it, it was truly amazing. I, I kind of had a feeling where I was in terms of results, but again, I wasn't race racing like the other elites. I didn't have any um, thought I could be podiuming with this. I just wanted to race as hard as I could and ideally not get passed by age group women. And that never happened except for that one who, again, she was flying. She would have finished fourth in elite if she would have ran elite. But again, that's another thing we should unpack. But um, I'm standing at the wall to get my picture taken and the fourth place female had just come in in front of me by two minutes. So I was apparently chasing her down the entire time. She did make a comment about not wanting to do burpees that had me questioning something, but Ultimately, whether or not, you know, she, she did her burpees or whatever else, I, I, it doesn't affect my results in the sense that I finished sub eight hours. I'm, I wasn't the last female elite, which is also a huge win for me. And I'm just like really proud of everything I did. Um, I will say Again, as a first-time ultra who has been on courses with ultras before, I know as a beast racer, I do as good as I can to announce when ultras are coming through. When you're on the trails, on obstacles, if I see a purple penny, I am screaming out ultra. 
like let everybody around know there's like ultras are coming move over um and i've always just assumed like i don't know in what condition they're in so i'm gonna help them out any way i can Mm -hmm. um people weren't doing this at least for me maybe they did when there were more ultras but as somebody who was more in the front of the pack than say you know the open racers or whatever else um people were not announcing ultras coming and i know that there were a couple instances where i was running and there was one time there were two women walking side by side and i'm running up i'm breathing hard you know i i can barely talk and if i'm running up on two people i'm not gonna say on your left just because i know two people it's i it's hard for two people to get over to the right if i say coming through excuse me they're probably gonna part the sea and i can just go in between them so i'm coming through and i'm saying excuse me coming through ultra and nothing i'm getting closer excuse me excuse me and then I'm like right up on them and I'm like, excuse me. And I'm running. And as I'm running off, they're like, you know, you're supposed to say on your left. And I'm like, I announced myself three times. Open your ears. I'm an ultra. We have right of way. And there were, there was a group of people around and nobody was saying, you know, ultra on your left ultra on your left anything um somebody did after you know i kind of chimed in and said you know i'm an ultra we have the right away somebody did say good job ultra go get it in my past experience i've i haven't had people going like oh there's an ultra coming up i've only time i've experienced that was the bfx 24 and that's because we had open the sunday we were finishing they were running the regular course but um I can't remember most of my Spartan Ultra experience at Killington if I was coming through and someone, like, people cleared the way out. It's just one of those things I've never experienced. But my only guess would be we're in... Right now we're in the twilight of, like, Spartan Race doing well and having the standard racers. We're having a lot of people just kind of show up nowadays. So I would just say it's just people not being aware. But also, when I'm running a race or even just out on course or out, out on a, a training run, you get one to two on your left. And then after that, you're either going to hear me pass you and I'm going to be passive aggressive talking to you where it's like, or you cannot move. You can just do that too. You can just not move and stay in my way. Or uh, I will put my hand on someone's shoulder and just kind of move them as I'm passing, not a full on shove, but just kind of like, I'm going to make some space myself. Yeah, there was definitely a couple situations where I got like super passive aggressive. Uh-huh. Um, there was one place where it was like a descent and it was really bottlenecked. And there was enough room where I could have maneuvered through, but like a lot of the open beast wave, they just were taking their sweet time, you know, watching their step. And here I am running and I'm like, excuse me, on your left. And the, um, I'm trying to pass this guy as I'm saying on your left and, and he's just 
kind of being a dick. And I'm like, I'm an ultra. We have the right away. He's like, well, I was falling when you were saying it. I'm like, well, sorry. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm just like, I'm race racing this. I am, you know, an elite female in the ultra. I'm not like every second counts for me. I'm, I'm really trying to go. Yeah. Um, and then we got to the box and the, on the second lap and there was this, he was a buff guy who was running the beast open by himself. And he and I were like switching off pretty much the entire lap. And, um, he got to the box just before I did. And he walks to the only open lane at the time. And I'm like, ultra, ultra, excuse me. And he's like walking up and he's about to hop up on the box. And I'm like, uh, ultra, excuse me. Like, oh, so we don't get the right away here. Oh, okay then. And he, he like looked back. He's like, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, 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 sorry. You can go. And again, like I was up in two seconds, like the people who were around, like everybody's like getting help up over the box. They all stop and look, they're like, oh my God, ultra. That was incredible. That's amazing. Like you did that so fast. And I'm like, well, yeah, um, I, I, it's not a cocky thing. Like I am good at obstacles. I'm, I'm very proficient. I promise if anybody lets me go ahead of them, I'm not going to hold you up. Um, but yeah, I definitely got super passive aggressive with him. And um, then I took off running. And I don't, I don't think I saw him again after that. But yeah, I can honestly say I ran a, a portion of every single mile on that 31-mile ultra. Um, coming into this race, and it, it's not a fair comparison by any means because I do know majority of the beasts I've ran are legit mountain beasts. You know, I've done Killington, Jersey, Tahoe, Big Bear. Like I've done a good portion of all of those mountains. I have never ran a sub four hour beast with the exception of when Brian and I went out to Florida and we walked the Florida beast in three and a half hours. Um, so me coming into transition at 17 miles of an obstacle course race, which that ultra loop, it was a lot of switchbacks and the sandbag carry was just brutally long. Um, I think the ultra loop took me probably like 45 minutes. Um, yeah, maybe, I don't even know that might be a total lie ever. It felt like it was really long. Um, but it, um, coming in on 17 miles of an obstacle course race in, in right around the four hour mark was a pretty great feeling. So then I, I was hoping that I would have done it a little bit faster to buy myself some more time for the second lap because I expected to go a lot slower. But even on the second lap, like my pacing was really pretty good. Um, and had I ran that beast, I think I could have probably pulled off a sub three hour with over 2000 feet of elevation which for me is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I didn't think a sub eight hour ultra 
especially with 5,000 feet of elevation, which again, isn't much compared to what we're used to on, you know, East Coast races. But I it it felt amazing. It was definitely a next level of racing ability for me. And I'm really proud of myself. Had I not ran elite and had I jumped into age group instead, my I would have placed first in my age group by an hour and 20 minutes. Hmm. Damn. Like looking at the elite or the age group times the first overall male and first overall female in um, age group had almost a solid one hour lead over the next person in age group. And I am going to shout out Scott Knowles, um, Scott from. Um, what is that? I am a Spartan podcast. I just totally drew a blank. I'm sorry, Scott. Um, he crushes ultras. He's phenomenal. He finished that ultra in like five hours and 40 minutes. I think if he would have ran elite, I think he would have finished third or been like seconds off of third. Um, and he did, I was talking to him after and he did say that he wants to start running elite and that he should have ran elite for this. Um, the female, she finished in like seven hours and 11 minutes. And the next age group female didn't come in until over eight hours. So that's just, that really has me thinking, um, like, why is Spartan still having an age group wave in ultras? I mean, we had under 20 elites start this race. And then we have our big age group caps. If we would have combined the age groups with the elites, we wouldn't have made too much of a shakeup, at least in the women's. I mean, yeah, okay, so you'd trickle down those four women who were elite into their age groups. But it, it wasn't going to affect too much about the podium positions for an age group. But we're seeing such big gaps in time between it. And like we want to continue to encourage people in racing more competitively. And I, I know that age group is definitely a comfort zone thing. People want to test their ability without towing the start line with the best of the best. But ultimately, we're all playing by the same rules. We have this trickle-down method in Savage. We have the trickle-down method in Tough Mudder. They do it with Toughest and World's Toughest Mudder. I guarantee you, nobody was complaining that the elite contenders who didn't have to run a Toughest to be a contender they were standing on top of an age group podium because once the top three was filled, the rest of those contenders just got split up into age group. Yeah. I mean, this is how top of my age group was a hundred mile finisher with Javier and he was, he was fourth overall. And I was just like, that's what happens. (laughs) That's exactly what happens. And it's a truer indication of how people are doing in that age range. So I'm not saying we do away with age group, but I think we need to be factoring in everybody who's racing competitively so we get a more 
structured and concise results for it. Because, yeah, I finished an hour and 20 minutes ahead of the person who finished first in women, 30 to 34. Like, they were not technically the strongest 30 to 34 runner out at that race. But because I signed up for elite instead of age group, I don't get that recognition. And I get that. I accept that. That's why I did it. I wanted to be able to push myself even harder. But if, if we want to close the gap between elite and age group racers, we just need to eliminate it altogether and filter it in one and then offer that trickle-down method. That is how people are going to continue to push themselves further and really see how they compare. It, it would only work for certain formats, though, because you have to consider how large me and uh, Corey's age group is in the men 30 to 34. If we were to get rid of the actual age group competition, we go back to those bloated elite groups, mainly on the shorter distances, so on the sprints and supers. Those, age, those elite uh, waves are going to be super bloated because the 30 to 34 age group is stacked. Um, most of the top guys on the pro team are 30 to 34. Oh, well, I, I think it only needs to be for ultras, at least for now. And that's because of how small ultras are. But like, if you look at Tough Mudder, they're tougher waves. They don't do age group podiums. They only have the overall. And that is completely fine. But then they do the age group for toughest and world's toughest mudder. I am completely okay with that. Keep the age group competitions, you know, especially with series races, because I know that winning an age group series championship, I mean, I've done it. It's a big accomplishment, and people do come out and race full series in age group. Same with elite. Like, keep those all good. I think for ultra, though, they should combine it. Plus, then it gets the open waivers out on the course a little bit earlier, and then you build up a little bit more spacing between the ultras and the beast start. I think, like, and just looking at this year, granted, we're our, it's a year after COVID coming back, but I have seen Spartan do little to no promotion of their ultra distances. It's just... None. They're just kind of letting it... I, I could honestly see them reducing even more next year because they're just not around. They're, they're... Especially if you look at... Actually, if you look at men's and female waves just this year and their top ones, it's not much... There's there's not much of a success there's not much of a success rate there because there's not a lot of numbers. I mean, Grant, we had one female finisher for the Jersey Elite. Yep. We had three for Killington, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the numbers aren't there because they won't promote it. There's... There were no female elite finishers at Blue Mountain up in Canada. There's no promotion of it, and I think I honestly think Spartan's okay with that because as the ultra division can disappear, it means they don't have to keep courses open for that long. They don't have to staff it. They don't have to get volunteers to do it. It's just something. But the one good thing is they are maybe they are trying to promote it because what is it? The season pass next year covers ultras. Yep, season pass covers ultras, and they don't have a different pricing for the season pass for elite age group and open, which is huge. But, I mean, if you look at these ultras, there were female age group finishers in Jersey. There were female age group finishers at Blue Mountain. 
if they instead of having elite an age group if they just had their competitive wave and determined okay here are our top finishers and then here are our age group finishers and everybody starts together then they would have filled a podium and then it is a truer indication again like my biggest fear was if I get lapped by age group racers, or if I get handed a podium and it turns out that age group racers were faster than me, I then I just feel like a fraud. I had no place being in there. If you just do away with this elite and age group and just buckle them together, and again, only for ultras, run it like a savage, whatever, then we have a more true indication of how people are running for and standing on the podiums people are ranked accordingly. I think it would work for them. It would just based on the numbers alone, it would work for Spartan Race. I I don't have any like objection to it. It's I haven't run an ultra since 28 2018. Yeah, that's when I finished my. I haven't run an ultra since 2018 for Spartan. I haven't really looked much at the brand and just based on like I said, they're just not promoting it really anymore. It's not something they chase. They don't have a they don't have a champion they have the championship, but they don't have a series. They barely promoted their own championship. It's just something they don't really they're just kinda of letting it exist as it is. It's kinda of like actually stadium racing in like twenty fifteen or sixteen. They just let that thing exist the way it was and then eventually circled back around and it's got more popularity, but they just kinda of let it be as it is. It's uh they could learn a lot from the way Tough Mudder runs it, but Tough Mudder's been doing this for years. They've been running. <laughs> They've been on the Ultra game for years, so they know exactly how to run. And yeah, they could they could learn from their format much more. And I do think that if Spartan is going to have an Ultra Championship in the lap format, that they need to revise their Ultras to do a lap format or else change up their Ultra Championship so it's, you know just 30 miles but hey i would love to see a single lap ultra for spartan that would be pretty cool well i think the last one of that was 2014 killington was the last time they did that it was so single lap around killington with one bucket drop in the middle i wish they had done that again i would have loved to have done a single lap ultra but it's just not feasible it's not financially feasible for them Uh, years ago i wanted them to do Years ago, I wanted them to do a, a multi-lap option where they just run the course for 12 hours, same way Bonefrog does it, same way Toughest does it. But they just don't want to. They don't want to do it. They don't think they they need to. Well, th- there was another thing that um, happened at this ultra that many people took notice of this, and it goes back to. I mean, we've talked about it so many times with integrity and DNFs and. You know, what is, like, what constitutes run your own race. But it's just interesting to see in the moment and to see how people react. So, and on this course, there was one section, you you crossed over a stream a couple of times. We came by um, a stream and then we ran up a little hill and did like a loop around and then came back, ran over the bridge next that came over the stream so you cross through the stream and then you cross over the bridge on your way out and i was coming down to the bridge and there was a water station right there so you you could access the water station from both sides um and 
as I was coming, I saw a guy come up from the stream, go to the water station. And then from the water station, he took off over the bridge. He, he had like a rucksack on. Um, he had taken his headband off at this point. And I'm like, well, I, I'm pretty sure I just saw that guy cut like a solid mile and a half off the course. Okay. So I run, um, well, where it was, it was right at the end of the age groupers, beginning of the open waivers. So either he had to be a really fast open wave or not so fast age grouper. Um, so I take off and we get to the twister right around the same time. And, um, I hop on, you know, that, that this was the first lap. So I'm swinging through and he's just standing there talking to the volunteer and I slip off. I go off on my loop. I come, I come back around and I take off on course and he had just left from the twist area. I'm like, okay, well he didn't do a penalty loop. Didn't look like he was doing the obstacle. Um, and I pass him. He, he, you know, jumps to the side, says, good job. Okay. I go off. I'm running. We run for a little bit and then we get onto the ultra loop. I come off the ultra loop and I start running again and there's a little switchback area and sure enough there he is again. He took off his purple penny at this point. Oh, uh, okay. Mhm. Okay. Mhm. So, I'm like, you know, if this is what he needs to do, whatever. I'm running and I get to the dunk wall, which is, again, close to the festival area. You can see the dunk wall isn't far from the six-foot wall at the start of the race. So I look over, and there he is, jumping over the six-foot wall, purple pennies back on. Hmm. Interesting. And yep. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay. Um, so then... I finished the race and I'm talking to a couple of people and one person said he, he noticed this guy as well. And he actually said something to him when he saw him cut the course. Um, and then there, they, some of the spectators and age group racers were looking at the results and there was an age group racer that finished in like four and a half hours, the <laughs> entire ultra. Oh, so he set the record. Set the record. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, they went up to the results and said, hey, this name, like the top male elite didn't even run it this fast. Yeah. You look at look at all these timing mats missed. They went and they just straight deleted him from the entire race, DQ'd him. Good. And luckily, Spartan has to verify your results in order to get your buckle. Um, so I'm hoping that they noticed that before handing him the buckle. Um, but it's just cure. Like, I don't understand how people can justify cutting that much. Well, really cutting any part of the course, but in particular, that much. You signed up for an ultra. It's a hell of a lot of money to run an ultra. And you're not going to put in the work. You're going to take your penny off. You're going to remove your headband. I was coming out of transition um, after the race to go get something. 
and there was a woman walking in and I'm just like minding my own business, whatever. She decides to say, oh, I'm just going to get my stuff as she's walking into transition and she's wearing a beast medal. Like, why are you walking into transition if you're wearing a beast medal? Yeah. And like now that I've ran an ultra, I mean, I it just infuriates me even more. And like, I, I know, run your own race. You got to do what you got to do for yourself. But it's such a slap in the face to the people who are busting their ass out there. And it it's always... I, I do like how ultras will band together when somebody is doing something to, you know, scar the ultra finisher title. I mean, for me, it's when I've seen people cut course. I've seen, I've heard the stories of people cutting course, taking podiums, being pulled off course, but go, getting ended up finishing with an ultra buckle. It's one of those things that it shows what we've talked about in the past, which is the integrity of a racer. They're not there to do the race. They're there to inflate their ego and just kind of show off what they do. But if someone, say, an instance of the woman who fin- who decided to just finish and get a beast medal, if, if someone wants to do that, you know what? I want them, they, they can do that, but I want them to openly admit defeat that they couldn't cut it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want them to go, I couldn't cut the ultra, so I had to get, I had to stop down and do a beast. Just admit it. That's all I need. But the, it's, it's just the, with the way Barton numbers have been going, it's just the ultra side of racing is really just clung on to by the few who are doing it or the racers who are just trying, who have been around long enough to try something new like you did. It's just, it's a, it's become a messy format. It's not really well taken care of. And some point Spartan's going to realize that they're going to have to revamp it in some sort by giving us just a new buckle. And then what is it? What are their bronze, like their browns or bronze or copper this year or something like that? I don't know what exactly it is. I mean, it's like goldish looking. Just by, by like giving us a different type of metal isn't going to make people really come out and care about it, especially if they, I mean, look at look at the results from the Spartan Ultra Championship. There was the there's just ridiculous. You could do two laps and end up on podium if you just showed up in age group. They just don't they don't really care. But I mean, arguably at World's Toughest Mudder, you can run one lap at the beginning and one lap after eight o'clock the next morning and collect twenty four hour finisher headband, which in no way means you ran for 24 hours. It just means you sat out on course for 24 hours. Um, well, if you ran one lap, that's ridiculous. But if you did twice, hopefully you didn't sit out on course for 24 hours or sit on the course for 24 hours. No, not on the course, but like in your pit area or whatever else. Like, I don't think you should be able to c- collect a 24-hour headband if you only ran like 10 miles. Well, the rule rule for that is if you don't do a lap, if you don't finish a lap after eight o'clock, you're actually not even considered a finisher for World's Toughest Mudder. You're technically, you're technically DNF'd at that point. It's a really weird rule, but that's the, that's the rule they've put out. Um, and it actually does work for a lot of people. Like uh, it, it works in favor for the people who go on course, like a major shout out to, the Everest Angels and the Men of Mutterhorn, because those guys, 
they only get about two laps in, and it's because they do their first lap, and then they go all the way up to Mutterhorn or Everest, and they sit there for the 24 hours or whatever, 22 hours remaining, and just help people over the obstacle until they're the very last people. Yeah, and I have total respect for that. So, Charles, you're coming down from World's Toughest Mutter. I'm coming down from my first Spartan Ultra, and I think... Everybody who has ever ran a race knows what a race hangover feels like. I think the best way to get through a race hangover is to talk about your race hangover. So tell me a little bit, what, what does your race hangover feel like? I feel like I'm in an awkward position for it because I don't have much of one with mine. I, I, it's one of the few races I finished and I'm very content with kind of how I got to my 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 finishing status and just kind of how I feel with it. Um, I was very okay coming into my race knowing it was my first world's toughest mutter. So even though I had the idea of 75 miles, it's an ambitious first timers goal. But when it like with stuff in the past, usually I, when it comes to a hangover, it's more, I'm one of those people. It's like, I want to do another race again, like kind of hair of the dog type scenario. Because I want to be able to improve on different aspects of like what I had happen. It happens for me a lot after stadium races. I have that problem. I will run a stadium race and I'll be like, oh, I could have made up time here, here, and here. If only I was running one this weekend. And then I could just do it at just make up on like improve upon the, the stuff where I slowed down on. But right now with mine, I'm actually I'm just ready. My I'm just happy my season's done. It's been a very long season. We started training in February. January. I'd say January. January. Yeah. So I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of happy my season's over. And this is the first time, I mean, I did a lot of hikes last week, but this is the first time, like, I, do, I, have, I don't have anything on the schedule. So I'm kind of like on my own wheelhouse with training and just kind of winding down to take a little bit better care of myself post-race. Because believe it or not, running for 50 miles and then being in a van isn't the most comfortable like in terms of recovery when I'm feeling it from that. But yeah, I don't have much of a, I just don't have much of one from this one. It's just one of the things after a race, I'm just kind of like, ah, eh. I had more of it from uh, OCR world champs. I had more of a hangover from that. It was more, those races were just world stuff with mother was a special race, but I also had the vacation afterwards. So it was more like, I'm going to get this race and then I get the, well, OCR World Champs, I did my races, I ran as best as I could, and then afterwards I was just kind of like, Phew. I didn't know how to feel about them. I was excited for the team race, but the rest of them I was just kind of like, wow, like those were, I don't know. They, I just, the other races there kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, really. So I'll say, for me, I, it's different for me. I um an outgoing introvert a lot of people don't actually know that about me i like to just keep to myself but i also i'm a leo like we like to be the center of attention and i have no problem talking to people when i know somebody at obstacle course races people know me i get people coming up to me all the time saying, you know, thank you for this, or I watched this, or you're so-and-so. And it's 
it's very overly stimulating for me to the point where I get done with a race weekend and I just shut down. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. That's why I have a hard time recapping my races because I just, I don't want to engage with people because I have overly engaged for however long. Going into this race, um, I get a lot of people that reach out to me on social media and I'm always going to apologize if you ever message me on Instagram. There's a very good likelihood. I don't see it. Um, my Instagram does not tell me when people send messages if I'm not following you. Um, I miss a lot of Facebook messages. I miss a lot of Instagram messages. I'm so sorry. It's it's an accident. I'm, I try to get to everything, but it happens. Um, but I've had some people that'll see me, you know, they saw that I was coming out to Carolina and they said, oh my gosh, I can't wait to meet you. Or, hey, if you have time, do you want to hang out or do all this other stuff? And it got to the point where I had to respond and say, listen, uh, for this race, I am going and it's, this is just a me race. I need to just do me with this race. It's not you. I appreciate that you want to reach out, that you want to meet me, talk, whatever. I am going out. I didn't, I was very excited to have a hotel by myself. I had my own rental car. Nobody was telling me where I needed to be, when I needed to be there, except for the race. I could dictate absolutely everything with this, and I could just completely shut down, unwind, focus on my race. When the race was over, I talked to people for a little bit, but when I was ready to leave, I Irish goodbye, didn't have to say bye to anybody. I didn't have to, you know, go out of my way mm-hmm. for anybody. And it's not that I didn't want to engage with people. It's just I am so overly stimulated with this race season, with everything I do with, you know, Spartan on Facebook and my coaching stuff and this and I really just wanted to have that race weekend where it was I was just focused on me. And it's a lot easier coming down from this race because I was able to say, hey, I'm just doing me and not, you know, putting on a happy smile and engaging in small talk with any random person that walks up to me. So I'm going to apologize for anybody who maybe didn't get a chance to say hi to me at the race. I really just needed to be me and not be social. Um, But I think my race hangovers come more because I'm overstimulated from all of the socializing. And then when I overexert myself at races, that adds to it as well. And my brain just shuts off and I need to curl into a corner and just be by myself yeah in terms of that perspective then yeah that's usually what happens with my like just after a race it depends on how strenuous of a race it is too where i have to i don't hang around a lot at races i have friends in who race but either a lot of times we're not at the same courses or they're running a much later wave than i am so i'll go out and run an age group and then they're running open so i only get to see them just before i go off and I'm pretty much, an, I'm basically an introvert, but like I've 
explained before, I go to races by myself. I'm pretty much very much a lone wolf when it comes to doing races. So I just kind of I just kind of head out usually when I'm done. I don't leave an Irish goodbye. I'll say hi to people when I can, but eh. I just kind of head out and get to take care of myself afterwards and have my alone. Time. You know, that is the definition of an Irish goodbye, right? Well, I, when I, in terms of Irish goodbying, I usually think of it as where I'm at like a party with everybody. I, most of the people I know, and I just kind of go, I'm just going to go home. Yeah. You just leave. You don't have to say goodbye to anybody. You just walk away. Oh, well, I, I, I use the term when it's a social gathering, not when I'm like at a race and I'm not really, not like when I'm, already just kind of wandering around group to group but um i don't know yeah and when i usually don't have a good race i tend to not have a wrap-up or recap of it i just kind of just go eh, we're just gonna let this one slide by and not have to deal with it it's uh it's kind of how i was always dealt with stuff i've had so i've had disappointment races in the past and my idea of it is if i end up putting like put in my 20, 2016 and 17 Ultra Beasts, where I DNF'd, I put those online uh, that I didn't do well, blah, 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 blah. But in my head, when I, when I view those now, I'm like, it's making excuses. It's also me putting too much accountability on myself for the next race. So if I sit there and I go, these are, like, sometimes I will post, like, this is where it went wrong, this is kind of how it didn't go. But I just kind of, I don't know, it, it, by me recapping my bad races, it puts more pressure on myself to perform better at the next one than just letting it slide by and not even just talking about it. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not always recapping races. I mean, at, unless it's a local race or a race that I've never done before, I don't need to recap it. Like... I can say, you know, this is how my race went. I finished in this time. I placed this whatever. Oh, I missed my spear. But, like, do I really need to write week in and week out? Oh, hey, I beat the monkey bars. I beat the multi-rig. Like, I, I had a tough battle, and I pushed myself so hard. Like, we don't always need it. And I think the social media side of everything just tells us we have to tell all of our followers what we're doing when we're doing it. And, you know, we want them to live vicariously through our experiences, but we don't have to. Like I saw plenty of people out on the course this weekend. I'm not going to go and sit and say, Oh, Hey, I saw this person, this person, this person, this is how this obstacle went. This is how this obstacle went. This is what I saw. Like, no, I can just say I went out to run 31 miles. I ran my ass off. I somehow managed to get in well under my eight-hour time cap. I'm really happy with how I went. And honestly, I feel like I just earned my place in elite ultra racing. And that's my recap. It, it does not need to be a play-by-play. -play. And... Honestly, I think it's better off not being a play-by-play because you know what's always going to happen? People are always going to go and start writing off this nice long thing and then say continued in comments and then you're having to scroll through all of the comments and then everything else and nobody's really reading it all that much. Like, yes, be honest, have, you know, be authentic, talk about your race, but 
you know, just enjoy the moment and don't feel the need that you need to recap every single thing that goes on in your life. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, I said I, I've posted it twice now. I'd probably put up a write-up of World Stuff and Murder, but I don't know if I am. I mean, I could have approached the race and had Alan post on my Instagram stories and stuff like this is what I'm doing. I didn't even really have him do that. I was like, eh, basically, if you didn't, if I, if people didn't see that I was running World Seventh Murder, they wouldn't have known at all that I was out there because I didn't post much on Instagram on the stories or that much because I was just kind of like, no, when I get to keep the race my own, I get to have a better race. Um, I don't have to have the pressure of social media and stuff. It's stuff I've learned just from years of trying to get ambassadorships and trying to have followers. If I keep things to myself, it kind of works. I, I tend to have a little bit better of a race. 100%. And I think that might have been why my race this weekend went so well. Once I knew that there, there was going to be more women than podium spots for Elite, I said, okay, pressure is off me now. I can just go and run my own race. Yeah, plenty of people knew I was going to be there. But starting at 6 a.m. before all of the Beast Racers came and when, you know, the age group and the open ultras were kind of hanging around, but everyone was just trying to keep warm. I didn't feel like I needed to put on this happy influencer face and, you know, talk to people before my race started. Like I could just be in the zone. I could get out on course and just focus on me. And I, I was just able to run. There wasn't any pressure. And then after the race, yeah, I mean, it took a hell of a long time to respond to people who, you know, asked how it went or whatever else. And it's like, I, I get so sick of saying the same thing over and over and over and over to everybody. So I understand why maybe making a recap post is the way to go. But ultimately, it's just going to cause people to ask more questions, and you're going to have to say the same thing over and over and over and over. Like it, It's okay to just keep things more to yourself. And I think it's that unpacking of what just happened with our race and the processing of it all while we're coming down and while we're trying to replenish that is really causing these race hangovers to get worse and worse. Oh, yeah. I have... I've had so I've had a good amount of disappointments in my racing career. Like I've missed my before I jumped into my thirties, I missed the age group podium at my stadium race by thirty seconds, something like that. That haunted me for a year because I didn't like I put so much pressure on getting that race and I didn't get it. And I sat there and like slowly pulled apart the race every bit. And I th I don't even know if I did a recap post about it, but I sat there and just pulled it apart. It's the same with um, if you take that and mirror it to my stadium race this year, same stadium race, Nats Park, different age group, 14 seconds off, and I went, I didn't get it, but I had a damn good race. And I just, that's, that's how I moved on with them. Some races are going to be disappointing, and it can come after you've trained all year for them, and it's okay to be disappointed with them. And sometimes you don't have to share it with everyone, because by sharing it, it kind of, some people do need to be open that way, but just because you have Instagram followers, followers, you don't need to share why things went wrong. You can just know that it wasn't your race and move to the next one. 
It's uh, or move into your off season like a lot of us are. You just get to go, well, that didn't go well because I got injured or I didn't train enough on this one thing or something like that. And you can just go, hey, this is what I get to do in the off season, And maybe I'll do, correct it next year and take it on again. Exactly. I mean, I know too many people that whether they got injured or they were dealing with stuff or whatever else, you know, miss a race or anything. And we'll talk and I'm like, well, why aren't you doing this or this? And they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't post it on social media. I got injured. And it's like, it's actually really refreshing. Like, I know I try to be open and honest with what all I've been going through because it's therapeutic for me. But I have, you know, I've kept my personal life private for a good amount of time. And there's still a lot of things that I keep very private. And it's hard for me to open up and talk about that kind of stuff. And knowing that I can just handle those on my own, it is, it, it's okay for me and it's good for me. And sometimes, especially with racing, if I put a lot of pressure on myself or, you know, I have these expectations, if I don't tell anybody about it, then I don't it doesn't intensify them any bit more. And it's really when you're disappointed in yourself or you just feel like you didn't give it your all that you feel like you either need to justify what happened or you just have this really bad like post-race blues that come about. I've gotten better about not sharing everything on Instagram with uh, when it comes to my race season. I think the the one of the few times I actually shared an injury was when I had a plantar fasciitis. I uh, gave that to myself by over racing. And then 2017, I had signed up for Palmerton because I wanted to be su- like Palmerton Super. I wanted to be, no, that was 2018. 2018, I wanted to be like super tough and run this race because I did my 24 hour down in Australia. Uh, but what I didn't tell people was I had strained an abdominal pretty badly and it was if you haven't done if you've never done that before it's very uncomfortable to do anything like in terms of running especially running uphill and i just came to the real like i posted it and then literally a few days later i was like you know what i'm actually not going to end up doing this race and it's for this reason and that was like the last time i think i posted about having an injury and it's because i realized i was doing the same thing i did years before which was i put expectations high for myself to do things by declaring things online and making sure people like know like i guess keep focus on me um i don't have to do that anymore because i run my races myself and i know exactly how to handle myself like there there's two ways my social media could have looked this year and it could have been one that either kept things personal myself or made things very public because if anybody actually does follow my performance um you will see my performance dropped off in june around any red run and things got really bad it's because the way my life went this year was and if you do follow me on instagram you know my mother passed in september but things started getting bad beginning of summer so i didn't make things public about it i just kind of kept running my races doing them how i needed to do my performance declined because mentally it wasn't easy to deal with but I made sure I kept the races my what I needed them to be 
so I could keep moving forward and just doing it myself. And I didn't have to post anybody to tell them, like, this is what's going on. Like, it's just, these were my races. Kept my head down, kept moving forward, did them as I could. And it's probably one of the better, even though I didn't have great performances at these, probably a better season I've had in a long time because I know there's a difference between failing physically, but and and then there's a difference between knowing exactly what you're able to do. Like I said, I would have beaten my 24-hour PR if I had decided to go out, go out on a lap because I was moving so well. But I knew at the time, it's not the smart thing to do. <laughs> so my takeaway was, I probably would have beaten my PR. In another universe, I probably did. But I didn't have to, because I knew exactly what I was capable of at the time. And it's okay to be... It's okay to just do the races you need to do and be, be what you need them to be. Exactly. I mean, go, going into this year, and I mean, I've talked about it, Savage Maryland was just such an awful everything. Um, I was in a really bad way. May 1st is arguably one of the hardest days of the year for me. And uh, everything hitting all at one and me putting so much pressure on myself. Um, that was probably one of the worst days of the year. And after that race, I knew that I needed to make a change. I needed to re-strategize, refocus, and stop putting pressure on my racing and just figure out what I needed to do to keep me happy, what was going to make the races fun and keep me engaged in the sport. And that's when I started telling myself, you know, races, it's just me versus me. I need to focus on only racing myself, pushing myself. I mean, there were times even this weekend I was out you know, on the ultra and walking for a little bit and thinking to myself, do I need to be walking right now? No, I can be running. I should start running. And that's what kept me running for those 31 miles. It wasn't who's around me or I wonder how anybody else is doing. It's no, I'm, I, I can be running, so I'm going to run. And as soon as I changed my mindset to me versus me, I stopped putting on this influencer face and said, you know, I'm going to be completely honest about what's going on with me because it's, it's therapy. Being able to talk about this stuff for me is therapy because I came from a family where we weren't, we didn't talk about things. We internalized absolutely everything. So when I started saying, Hey, I'm mentally struggling or I, I have a lot of stuff going on. That's just really affecting me. Um, that helped me to push past it and to then be able to decompress and focus on my racing. I also stopped feeling like I needed to be the influencer at races. I, yeah, people come up to me all the time. I engage in conversations, but I, I'm starting to say, hey, I've got to go or walk away or whatever else. Um, I, if I'm not socializing quite as much or you know talking about how my race went like immediately after or you know engaging in these conversations I'm not having as hard of a time coming out of race mode I can be myself both at the race and after because I am not overstimulating myself and I don't feel the need to justify 
what's going on with me. I just say, hey, me versus me. I did everything I could. It just wasn't my race. I think a lot more people need to start embracing this. You know, you don't have to justify how your race went. If you slipped off Twister because your fingers were frozen, you don't always need to say that. Like, you can just say, hey, I didn't have the best race. On to the next one. It is the actual definition of what we mean when we say race. It's not, uh, not run your own race by your own rules, but this is you run your own race to your the standards you want to have on yourself. Yeah, definitely. And just really know what you personally need because these post-race blues come about for everybody. And, you know, I know you and I both, we have our comfort meals that we like to eat after a race. We have, you know, what if we like to have a post-race beer, we know what that is. Or, you know, we know when we need to take a day off of work immediately after so we can sleep in or we meditate, we do yoga, animal flow, we go float, whatever else. We know what we need not only for our physical recovery, but even more so for our mental recovery. Even if we just touch on mental, is probably the biggest part of being a competitive racer in the sport because 100%. it is, it's super disappointing to not meet your own expect to meet the expectations you put out there for other people to see. Um, but when you make the standards your own for what you want out of these races, um, it's okay to it's okay to live with those standards. Like <laughs> that's what you wanted to do. Hundred percent. If I was already walking into the race knowing like it's like um i talked about with the all the last episode i thought about ultra running my top goal was 75 but i built I, I work into my other goals and that's kind of like the best way you can end up being okay with your races because not because you have sub goals but because i'm being present with how my race is going as i'm going through it like i'm not just going like i if i only focused on 75 my vacation would have been devastating after World's Toughest Mudder because I would have been upset I didn't get 75 miles. Um, and instead, I knew I got to 50, and I was like, well, that's where things are going to go for this time. And I didn't put a recap up. I put, like, one post saying, like, these are how things went, and I went, ate a hamburger, and went to sleep. I'm like, that's what, I, <laughs> that's what I did after after my race. I let it be what I needed it to be. Definitely, and I mean, I've been telling people so many times this year alone when they focus so hard on the competition and they try to motivate me by focusing on the competition. I mean, I remember being at Savage Boston and somebody saying, hey, Megan, third place is open. And that got into my head and I wasn't able to beat the rig until I knew another woman had gone through. And that's just because I, for me, I can't let the competition be bigger than my own individual performance. If I sat there and said, oh, well, I'm not making the elite podium, so I'm just going to, you know, fall back and let other people pass me and just, you know, just finish, I wouldn't have been happy. I would have been more disappointed in myself because I was, again, putting the competition over my own performance. I wanted to go and run as hard as I could, regardless of where it was, I was going to end up. And honestly, coming across that finish line this weekend, I 
I am in such a better place. I had no idea any of this was even possible because I feel like I unlocked a whole new gear within myself and was able to do things that I never thought possible. And it's all because I said, yeah, I'm going to run the best of the best who show up, but I'm not here to race them. I am racing them, but I am more here to race my own head and just see what I can get out of it. Something that really pertains to the age group runners, because when you put so much pressure to get an age group podium, which I see a lot of, back in 2019, I struggled with the fact that I've only podiumed, I've never age group podiumed, and I've only podiumed twice, once as a team and once solo. And I've all my other friends have age group podiumed. I mean... We get a text from Derek anytime he runs Savage Race, and he gets an age group podium, and he doesn't train right now. Uh, he's in my age group, and he walks in, and he gets his, gets the top stuff. And back in a couple of years ago, that used to devastate me in a way that I felt like my running, I had to run much harder for my training. I had to do a different, I had to uh, basically train like I'm doing an obstacle race every day. And... It broke me mentally because every time I didn't get a podium, uh, age group podium, I was fucked. Like I was, I I had a higher standard of myself than I could actually, just based on the people I saw online. And now, 2020 gave me the chance to b- break away from it and not worry about it too much and become okay with my own personal performance. And since then, with the help of training, I've gotten better. I'm not on full po. I'm not on an age group podium yet, but some point I will be. And when that happens, I'll be excited. But I don't know if you'll see me post it that that frequently. Like I'll post. I, I don't know if you'll see me post my photo with my finisher medal like three times in the week, just to say I did it. It, it would literally be a passing thing. Where I'm just like, finally got an age group podium. Very proud moment. On to the next. Yeah, and I mean, I ran Fenway, but last the weekend before, and I talked about it already but we you know on Saturday I finished 12 seconds off the podium in fourth and I went back on Sunday and I everybody was saying oh well you're gonna podium you're gonna podium you're gonna podium like I'm not looking to podium these are all training races I ran three laps the day before I am not here to push myself and fight for a podium all I want to do is shave off those 12 seconds that held me off of the podium yesterday And I shaved 15 seconds off that race, even with a missed spear throw, which I didn't have on that Saturday. Finished fifth in my age group. I wasn't sad. I wasn't upset. I grabbed my stuff. I went home and I relaxed and like hung out with my family and I moved on from it. I wasn't sitting back lingering, thinking, damn it, why have I still not podiumed at Fenway? I can't believe this. And now with what I did this weekend and Seeing the drive that stepping into Elite gave me, I don't know that I want to ever go back and run age group. I like the racer I'm becoming in Elite just because it's pushing me into a whole new level. And yeah, I want to see what more I can do. And I don't think I, I don't have that drive when I'm in age group because I'm putting so much emphasis on 
oh, I need to go stand on a podium. I need to be on a podium. I need to be on a podium that I never, I haven't gotten on a podium in a while just because that pressure is messing over my head too much and it's holding me back. If I step into elite, I know I'm not stepping on a podium. I'm taking that thought out of my head and I'm just racing the best race I possibly can. And I'm doing so much better because of it. And I think that's like, that's kind of the wrap up to how you can beat the, the race hangover is by just setting your own goals and sticking to them and knowing that when you don't throw all of your social media onto your race and making sure everyone can see and know what you're doing, you won't have to have that mental weight and pressure of having to perform to other people's standards. You just get to run for your own, your own enjoyment. 100%. I mean, racing should be about having fun. I mean, we started talking with it with your world's toughest mutter when you mm -hmm. knew you weren't having fun anymore. You called it. If you're putting too much pressure on your race, then you feel disappointed in yourself. You feel like you need to justify it. And it's only bringing your mood down. Yeah, I'm in a race hangover right now because I'm coming down from a busy season. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I'm not sad, depressed. I'm not withdrawing. I just, I'm transitioning into off-season mode. And there's a big difference between, okay, let's transition down, let's decompress, deload, versus a race hangover. And I think people definitely need to be able to identify the difference and really know how to take care of themselves and what they need for each situation and notice what is helping or what is hindering. Set your own goals, be honest with yourself, and be happy with whatever results you end up with. Because <laughs> that's, uh, that's how you'll be okay with yourself to get the next one. Yeah, at the end of the day, this is all just a hobby for every single one of us. Very few people are making a living off of this. Nobody is going to really care how your races went or whatever else. They care about you more than they care about your races. So try not to put that pressure on yourself. Just go out and have fun. If you're not having fun, what's the point of doing it? Okay, well, I guess we are on to the off season mm -hmm. we did it yay. oh my gosh yay <laughs> big sigh of relief yeah um it's funny to say it's funny to go into our wrap-up because now we say don't uh don't put pressure on social media and stuff when we're about to just tap throw our tags out but <laughs> leave that part in <laughs> yeah i am i am so where can you find me you can find me only on instagram at Sabretooth underscore OCR. That is S-A-B-R-E-T-O-O-T-H underscore OCR. And go on there to find my link tree for discounts and my own work. Megan, where can they find you? I am Meggie B A T C on Instagram. I am the OCR trainer on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Technically I have a Twitter. Don't use that either. Um, I do have a link tree where you can find links to my training website where I do offer coaching. So if you are looking for some help this off season, go ahead, send me a message and we can get you set up with some more coaching.
Where can you find us? How did you find us? You can find us on Instagram at Middle of the Pack Pod. Same with on Facebook, Middle of the Pack Pod. On there is our link tree to all our download links where you can sit and subscribe and like and download. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating. You can just do the stars if you want. You don't have to write something. Um, if you have any suggestions for us with off-season topics, please give us a DM and we'll gladly talk about it. And we are Middle of the Pack Podcast. We will catch y'all next week.